I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and I'm joined with my co-host with the most, coming all the way from Spookville, USA, Matt. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Good, and I am indeed coming from the spookiest of Spookville's, Austin, Texas, where everything is terrifying and is known for its spooky people. Yes, most of them in Congress. It's a bit of a din of hipsters and health healthy people and foodies, but that scares me. So yes. that's that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of super fit foodie hipsters that are driving up property value and going to make me move soon. Who it's more terrifying With than unironic that. mustaches. <laughs> that's right. And, and very very tight wranglers. Yes. It's so unironic and that you 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 live here long enough and you do try the mustache for yourself. I did one. I had a little Hogan, Hulk Hogan style mustache oh, going. Oh yeah, yeah, I can Remember see that? pull that off actually. Yeah, I think I yeah. pulled. I, it I off, had like yeah. I had like a Gomez for a while, but it was actually after I left Los to Los Angeles. I did that, but it only works when you have short hair. I think. Yes. What? What? Oh, I don't know if it only works when you have short hair, but uh, there's a lot of other decisions, a lot of other commitments you have to make when you do a Gomez mustache and long hair. It's a, it's a whole wardrobe change. It's a car. You have to change the kind of car you have to buy. Even people don't realize that it's like you have a motorcycle. Oh, a that's commitment. an option, or like a hearse, basically. I was thinking. Well, see, I was thinking more like of a El Camino. Yeah, you know? I can see that. But on that note, as we do every week, let us check in with the. Tournament of Terror. Mm. So if you remember, in the Dave bracket, we had uh, Hellraiser, popular on the show, with Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) And unfortunately, I'm going to have to keep saying that correctly, because Dracula won. No. uh, What? Yes. 69 votes to 37. Dracula beat Pinhead? Yes. Dracula versus Pinhead. Would that work? Would that make a good Hellraiser sequel? Is that what we we need? Well, you know, interestingly enough, it feels like that is a... Like, you know, we've had, uh, you know, Freddy versus Jason, and we've had... had, um, Not that we like to talk about it, but we've had Alien versus Predator. I think uh, uh, um, an administrator of Hell... Coming to Earth to try to recapture the soul of, of the one who who insulted God to his face. I think it makes sense. I got to see wide watch. I'd watch Pinhead versus Bram Stoker's Dracula. I don't know. I think I feel like anything when it's versus Dracula, you get into kind of a kitschy uh, sort of territory you know it's almost like uh santo versus frankenstein or like uh santa versus the space martians and and wait wait are you saying santa as in santa claus are you talking about like el santo the greatest luchador of all time actually i actually brought up both yeah i'm sorry that that was a bit confusing i did santo and then i did santa uh yeah i actually brought up both uh santo versus frankenstein santo was a mexican lucha was a luchador mexican wrestler who made a series of films of him wrestling different famous monsters you know um many many people don't know this but in in mexico it is actually el santo who delivers toys to all the all the good kids in around the country their their shopping malls must be amazing around christmas time then because i would much rather sit on a luchador's lap and like uh what what does he have instead of elves though what what, does it just the same elves is there reindeer well well, he has he has the the minis Oh, you know, in, in, right. in, uh, yes. in Mexican wrestling, um, um, little people—that's uh, a—that's a viable sort of division, and uh, they're very, very popular. And so, yes, he has—he has, he has uh, lucha minis, and he has a throne that's centered in a in a squared circle, a ring, a wrestling ring, and you gotta you gotta go in between the ropes, and you gotta go sit on Santos' lap, and tell him if you've been a good uh, niño or niña. And then he will bring you a present or he will put you in a chokehold if you've been bad. So uh, my fiance, she's pretty big on having Christmas decorations around here. And last year we didn't really do much, but this year she wants to go pretty big. And I think I just got a bunch of ideas for how I want to decorate this year. <laughs> please, please go with those ideas. <laughs> well, so Dracula, Dracula has won. Oh, the, the, the love Lauren romantic has beaten the S&M fetish kinkster ah uh, well what are we gonna do we 
I mean, will there ever be, will Pinhead ever rise again? I mean, can we, after being beat by the big, by, well, I actually have an idea for how Pinhead could come back. I have, oh, I have been, okay. um, been thinking. Oh, that's always dangerous. And you know, it's been, it's been a long time since we've had a good Hellraiser sequel. That's a good point. They've been pretty rubbish for a long time. That's right. And I'm not saying this would be one, but I have an idea. Okay. <laughs> okay. Shoot. So have you heard of 3D printing? I have mostly because you do a lot of it. I've I've been doing uh, it. That's and, that's kind of why I thought it is actually. And and I did post once on our Instagram, uh, your your three D printed little prints cooking in a purple uh, purple oven. Oh yeah, yeah. I did make a little miniature of that. Well, I I got this idea. So you've heard of like 4chan and those anonymous internet websites where all kinds of naughty behavior can go on and I mean, stuff. I mean, have I heard of it? Yes. Do I have a life? Also, yes. Okay. So that's, the, that's element two. Element three, we had an entrepreneur here in Austin. I think he had to serve some time recently for some unrelated offenses, but he was giving out plans to people to 3D print guns. Oh, who is this? I don't know the guy's name. He was just some kind of guy that ran some uh, 3D manufacturing company, and um, he would give out these uh, these plans, and it was this big thing. It was in the news and stuff. Is Should that be legal? Can you people download and print their own guns? And anyway, so now you're kind of getting the idea that this 3D printing thing could be a little risky, right? So I thought, what if... Right, right. It's a little bit of Pandora's box. Right. So, like, what if we had something like that where some guy that was running a company, like having people print weapons and maybe, you know, he's, he's making a bunch of money and he's a controversial public figure. And there's even been some killings using his 3d printed weapons. And, uh, he's just always searching for like the next big thing. He's a real thrill seeker. And what if he, on some anonymous website, downloaded the, the plans and 3d printed his own Lament configuration Hellraiser puzzle box and summon Pinhead. That's awesome. And then the he puts those plans up on his website, working because he becomes a Cinnabite, right? And then he puts the plans up, and then all these of people course. around America and all over the world start downloading and three D printing their own, and then they become Cinnabites too. So it's like a cyberpunk Cinnabite thriller Hellraiser sequel that you like that. I thought you might like that. I love it. I mean, listen, we what what is our motto here on the show that the best horror shines a mirror up to the social anxieties of the culture and like the idea that on a grassroots level you could you could release this weapon to be used by these scared insults. Like take that to the its most extreme point in which you have as a lament configuration being 3D printed by all these like 4chan nerds. <laughs> I'll bet you imagine that a lot. All right, so in the mat bracket, so yeah, we the have the classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, sorry, that was last week. That'd be the thing. No, this week we had Evil Dead 2013 versus American Werewolf in London. Would you care to wager a guess as to who won? I think Evil Dead's still going. You know what? I predicted that last week, and I was wrong. By fair, oh. by almost the same margin as uh, Dracula and Hellraiser, sixty-seven to thirty-nine. Wow, people are going with the classics. We're so we're looking at Dracula versus the Wolfman. Well, not yet. What we're looking at Basically. going into our semifinals. The results are next week we will have The Shining versus Bram Stoker's Dracula, and in the map bracket we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre versus American Werewolf in London. A werewolf versus a Dracula versus a psychic kid, or maybe his dad, versus Leatherface. Now, that's a movie I'd like to not watch. Any any predictions on either side of the bracket? Um, Leatherface, uh, he he gets kind of hypnotized by Dracula. He attacks the Shining Kid, but the Shining Kid does some head explodey mind maneuver scanners thing to oh, him yeah. you know we didn't put scanners on here but that's a good that's a good dark horse for maybe next year and then um the werewolf kind of drops from the tree onto dracula and leatherface comes back to life and he's running at the dracula and then that's when like fade to black to be continued so that's my prediction okay. for next all week. right well we'll find out and go to our instagram at grindhouse podcast to vote remember i put the the voting up every day so you can vote as many times throughout the week and next week we will announce who advances to the finals 
we're getting down to the wire, Matt. This is getting exciting. Some it great, exciting. great selections here. So tune in, we're participate, doing be a part here. of this. Uh, otherwise, you might get a movie that you don't like with The Crown. This important historical research. Everybody's been wanting to know for decades who is the greatest horror film of all time. Listen, we're shutting all the arguments on Twitter down. That's right. Stop arguing with each other. Let the science take place. Let the, uh, the results speak for themselves. Twitter has been chock full of arguments lately. Did you hear about the... Um, did you know? I don't know if you know this, but Martin Scorsese is an out-of-touch old white guy. Okay, wait a minute. I, I don't. Said. Okay, so I'm kind of back and forth with this one because I know that he uh, said some stuff about comic book films. Well, let's be clear. I, let's be clear about exactly what well, he said. Well, I, I, so what he said. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so what he said, just so in case the audience may not know. Yes. He was doing an interview, and he said he was asked. Uh, he was asked about comic book movies, and he said, "I don't know, man. I have tried. I just can't get into them. To me, that's not cinema." It's more in line with, say, like an amusement park. It's a lot of fun, but I just don't consider it cinema. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that's essentially just what he said. Okay. That's not so bad. That's, I mean, so, he's just saying to me, he's saying, hey, it's not what right. I, well, what I consider get, film, you know? But see, Matt, for years, I think I could speak for us. We grew up in a culture that, that when we were kids would have been considered nerd culture. Uh-huh. Right? And for years, we all wished that the paradigm would shift and that we would be in control. And you and some uh, might argue yeah, that that, yeah, that okay. paradigm shift occurred and we have taken over. I mean, geek culture rules the world. And what we have found, much like in George Orwell's Animal Farm, that we are now the pigs. And we are now sitting at the dinner table. And all the other animals are watching us. And they can't tell the difference between us pigs now in power and the farmers that were used to be in power. <laughs> Okay. Geeks and jocks uh, yeah. blurring together. It's, it's an pandemonium. Or, it's an, it's an, so, um, well, it's an Orwellian situation, but it's an animal farm Orwellian situation. So relax, everyone. We're not quite... You are not allowed to have an opinion on Twitter that goes against the zeitgeist. And even though Martin Scorsese, by all educated accounts, is one of the greatest filmmakers of not just our generation, but several. Mm-hmm. This man who has mastered the art of craft, of his craft... Is not allowed to say that Marvel movies are not cinema. Now, I don't know how you define what cinema is. Because obviously if it plays in a movie theater, it is cinema. And you could even argue if it, in the modern technological world that if it appears on Netflix, it's still cinema. But I get, I think if you use your brain for two fucking seconds, what he is saying is it's not high art. It's schlock. And you know what? It is. I, I don't even lie? know if I would go there. There's it's well, I, I don't think I would go there. I mean, it's uh, it's like Wagner back in the day. He used to use this term Gesamtkunstwerk and uh, but he said it with a better German accent than I just That's used. But it what it means is the complete work of art. And I would say that when you watch one of those Marvel films, maybe even the DC ones, no, it's um, with the score and the the choreography and the the animation and the uh, the acting and the costumes and the colors and the ah oh, it's all of that. I mean, how is that any different from the ring cycle? It's it's huge and it's it's all it's a complete solid work of art. Now I could see it doesn't mean it's uh, uh, immune to criticism. That doesn't mean it's like the best work of art ever, but it's definitely high art, fine art. Isn't the only thing I would say is. Um, where it's a little different, where it feels different to me, is uh, I understand that um, back in the day before televisions were in every home, shows like, or not, yeah, shows like Flash Gordon. You know, remember Flash Gordon in the 80s? They Whoa, remade it. Uh, yeah. Save it from Flash. the universe. Whoa. Hell yeah, man. That was a great 80s film with Queen on the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, but, it was. And that's what we grew up with, Flash Gordon. But our parents and their parents when they were younger, they would go to the theaters to see Flash Gordon episodes right. because they didn't have televisions. And there were serials back then, just like we have now, but you would go to see it, theaters to see them. And, this, and the same way, in Japan, that still goes on. There are certain um, anime shows that aren't quite right for TV. I understand that uh, in the uh, uh, late 90s, maybe late 80s, or late 80s, early 90s, I believe, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion was one that you actually went to theaters to see. Oh, and... Um, 
Yeah, and so I look at the Marvel films and the DC films kind of in that category of sort of like a really cool show that's ongoing and you go to theaters to see the next episode. It's not the same as Scorsese's next inspired, brilliant idea that he's put a ton of you know thought into it's like it's it's just an ongoing story it's fun it's i see what he's sure. saying it's more like a music part of the roller coaster yeah look th- and th- that's where he's drawing the analogy it's like it is fun it's fun and you yeah. know what eating at veggie grill is nice but you know what it's not a cuisine okay it's not high cooking cuisine that a, a five-star michelin chef prepared it's yes. fast food okay and I like some of the Marvel films. I loved Endgame, and I, and and I'm even occasionally moved by what happens within the movies. When Cap is sitting there, spoilers for a fucking four month old movie. When Cap <laughs> is sitting there with his broken shield, and he's facing down Thanos, and all his compadres have been taken out, and it's just him, and he can do this all day. And then he hears Sam Wilson say, "On your left, Cap." And you just see all the little portals open and you see all the heroes that were dusted away come out. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I had a little yeah. tear in my eye. Very I've touching. gone back I've gone back and watched just that moment on YouTube and every time I get this welling of emotion with inside. So I'm not saying that these films don't do that. What I am saying is that cinema has existed for roughly hundred and twenty years. And in that time there's a criteria for what makes a great film and what makes not a great film. This is Uh why you may love The Room, but The Room will never, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, will never be considered on the same level as Citizen Kane or The Shining or or 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. You you might even enjoy, in whatever manner that you enjoy it, The Room more than those films. But strictly speaking, there is a criteria for what makes a great film. And what I think what Scorsese is saying is, those films don't typically reach that benchmark. Yeah. And again, you can like it all you want, but how dare you talk ill of a man that has given so much art to this world of cinema that we love? How well, it, dare thee? They, you can you, disagree. We, we can criticize Scorsese. That's okay. No, you can criticize He's, him. You can disagree I, with him. I, I, don't I knew you a lot dare of people disparage who were, this man. This man is a national treasure. Don't say that this is an old white guy out of touch. That's disrespectful. Oh, who is do, doing the white thing? That, that has to be a thing. He can't just be an old guy. He's got to be a white guy. What? Old, yeah, because he's because he's the he's the person oh. in power. He's the personification of that which is in power, and therefore his opinion is not valid. Never mind the fact that he's a master of his craft, but and as in, a master of his craft, yeah, he's in power Picasso, because he's because he's done a great a lot of great things. He's in power because he's talented and smart and done a really well and listen had a great i don't career. know what Pica- i don't know what picasso's opinion of andy warhol was okay or or banksy or or any of the or, you know what's the what's the banksy ripoff guy mr brainwash yeah you know i, I don't i don't know, know yeah. i don't know what picasso would think of mr brainwash but i know i'd listen even if i didn't agree with it i would listen with respect that has been earned how dare you twitter go home you're drunk <laughs> So how did this come about? Was this because uh, people have been saying that Joker is the new taxi driver or something? Is that what it's going even, on? Like I he, don't know. He had I don't know if that's finally a uh, comic book film was edgy enough to be compared to one of his films. And, and so he had to respond. Was it something like that? You know, I don't know. I don't know what the motivation between, behind the, the reporter asking the question. But that's another thing. The Joker movie. For oh, weeks, okay. well, <laughs> I have been seeing people talk about the Joker film, how it's going to spawn violence. Uh-huh. How it's going to cause an incel uprising. And if you know anything about incels, there's not a lot rising with them. Oh, my That's God. That's one of their problems. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, dude. So, please, please keep going. Movie, this is brilliant. Yeah. The movie the movie finally comes out. And I have not watched it yet. I will watch it in Australia. Huh. And I will report. I'll be in Australia next week. I'll report back on my viewing of the Joker. But I just see these people. They have built... They've built this sort of, I don't know, credit with Twitter stands, and they have built it on the on scare tactic, tactics and fear mongering that this Joker movie is going to result in violence. And and there have actually been a couple of screenings that got you know shut down because there was a threat of violence, which, in my opinion, was perpetrated by the fucking media 
constantly talk about this, how the Joker movie, you know, they never did this with birds. Of, uh, what was uh, the Suicide Squad have the Joker? You didn't see that. Yeah, but it did it have the Joker. <laughs> uh, well, that's Jared, a good point. Jared, it had more like the mumblecore Joker. Jared Leto Joker was, um, I don't think he had quite the inspiration as, because I mean, because really, I think I, I know where they're coming from, because last time there was a really yeah. edgy, cool, interesting Joker, uh, a man took a machine gun to a movie uh, theater. But in fairness, do you know what movie that, that he took the gun to? Uh, yeah, the, the the Dark Knight, wasn't it? No. No, it was the Dark Knight Rises that has no Joker in it. Now, what? the idiot called himself the Joker, but he shot up a theater during the Dark Knight Rises, not the Dark Knight. That's the, the Bane one? That's the Bane one. I did not you know You should be that. scared of a Bane movie. When Joaquin <laughs> oh, Phoenix plays Bane, okay. you know, or huh. Daniel Day-Lewis plays Bane, you should be nervous that some guy is going to be inspired by the Joker. Wow, you're right. I, I forgot that it was, the, it was the Bane one. I forgot about I that. I made it a wow. point of looking it up because you know what? Over the t- over time since it's occurred, yeah. I had forgotten what gets lost in, the, in the, the weeds is what movie it was. And it wasn't even the movie with Heath Ledger. Yeah. Well, I'll it was just something be. that he yeah, came about. We so, so my point, my point is, is that these idiots are like casting this this political take on this movie. That look, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if it's good or not. But I also saw people saying things like, "Oh, it's trying to say something. It's trying to say something." And I looked because I do my due diligence. I looked high and low for uh, what's his name, Todd Phillips. Todd, I looked for Todd Phillips' quote uh-huh. talking about how this movie was supposed to mean something. And the only thing I could find, which, by the way, also caught the ire of Twitter, was him saying, and this, and I don't agree with this point. I want to really preface this. He says, you can't say comedy anymore. This sort of dovetails off our our conversation from last week. Uh Todd Phillips' perspective is that in a culture that where colored language would no longer be appreciated, he can no longer do his his way of comedy in in his own paraphrasing his own words woke culture has destroyed comedy so i don't agree with that but his idea was well how do you do something irreverent which is the type of comedy that he fancies himself doing without doing comedy and his take on it was to do a comic book movie that was a real movie now i don't know if it's going to be successful or not because i haven't seen it and and frankly for weeks, people who have been talking shit about it also didn't see it. Yeah. But but there's so much that's said with no evidence to support it. And all these people are getting very, very angry about things that are just not true. Uh, I don't know if Joker is what inspired this question, but even if it did, you're asking a 70-year-old man who is a master of his craft whether he likes comic book movies. Guess what, man? He doesn't. You know what? I don't like Post Malone. I prefer Malone. I don't think we need to get to Post Malone. I, it's a generational thing, okay? I'm allowed my fucking opinion. All right. I grew up on NWA, not Post Malone. You've made, Sorry. You've made two Malone references, I think maybe three or four actually now on our show. You're going to need to like get on Instagram and start filling people into what Malone is because nobody remembers That's that Burt my- Reynolds film. Listen, that is my entire, we, my entire purpose in life is to shine a spotlight. If we have any credibility as podcasters to shine a spotlight on un, on unheralded heroes, unsung heroes of cinema, uh-huh. we're going to shine it on Burt Reynolds Malone. Oh, look, I like the movie, but and you talks- have to be honest. The only reason we even know about it is because we had that guy in our hometown that was obsessed with it. I don't even remember that. Yes, you do. He started a band oh. called the. He started a hardcore punk band called the Malones. Oh, that's he would I come out in buttless chaps with a couple of pistol holsters with two bottles of lotion, and he would spray lotion all over the audience while he sang nothing but songs about that movie. It was you know uh, pretty interesting. In fairness, I didn't know what Malone was back then. I just thought it was a take on the Ramones. <laughs> yeah, because. Because uh-huh. you know they were a they were a, a three chord punk band, so I just assumed they were like, well, the Ramones is taken. What about Malone? Um, it wasn't until years later that I saw the majesty that was Malone. There was some and, some uh, pretty ingenious hardcore music coming out of Corpus in those days. I got to say that Malones they were they were really good. All right, well, it was fun to talk about some of our hometown musical heroes growing up. But what's today's show about? Well, uh, a couple of things. One, I wanted to touch on some of the news that was going on in Twitter just to keep people up to date. But the other thing I want to talk about that we 
um, didn't get to talk about last week was there's a new show out. Well, there's a lot of new stuff out. Actually, there's a lot of really great horror that's coming out. One of which is a series that we, we both watched, was the which is the revival of Creepshow on Shudder. Yes. Um, and then I also got a chance. Uh, so Beyond Fest is a film festival that's happening here in Los Angeles. And I got the opportunity to go to the screening of uh, Girl on the Third Floor by Travis Stevens. Starring, ironically, given last episode's uh, guest, former former WWE superstar CM Punk, a.k.a. Phil Brooks. CM Punk is the star of a horror film. And he's actually pretty fucking good at really? it. Really? To be honest. God, that guy just doesn't I stop. I mean, Well, that's good, because I, I did watch him when he was in in. in, uh, in MMA, and that was a bit rough. He, uh, ugh, yeah, that was unfortunate. He took a shot. Hey, man, he took that swing, took a lot on. of guts. That took a lot of guts. And uh, good for him yeah. for trying. Yeah, yeah. But um, he's had, he's, in my opinion at least, he's having a far more successful go at film acting. Uh-huh. And all the credit to, to Travis Stevens. Um, so I'll just give you a brief synopsis of, of the inspiration for it. There is a real house in. Uh, rural outside of Chicago and, and rural suburbs of Chicago that um, many, many years ago was a whorehouse, was a, a house of ill repute. A red house. And it stood. And what oh, a red house. That's just a, you know, there's a red house over yonder. It's just a thing. It's a, all, all right. right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, red house. And that red house stood directly across from a church. Oh. So you could drive down this road, and if you went to the left, you went into this house of ill repute, and if you went to the right, you went into church. Oh, uh, two so, paths, and they both lead to heaven. Yes, and there were apparently murders, and the house is haunted, and this is a real story, right? Yeah. So somehow along the line, as so, like we've had Jude walk on our show many times, and he made a film called The Incantation, in which he wrote his story around a castle that he had access to. Uh-huh. They did the same thing. They had access to this real house, and they kind of wrote a story around its history and made it contemporary, um, putting a lot of emphasis on kind of like a certain type of dude who's kind of a scumbag. And this house is really good about sniffing out asshole guys. That's all I'll say with that. It's great. I loved it. I was really, really – some of the practical effects on it are really great. Uh, lots of ooze and stuff, you know. So I check it out. I think See, it comes out lots soon. Lots of ooze? Sure like exactly o- when, but keep an eye out O-O-Z-E. for it. Yeah. This is, a, so, this is a house filled with lots of body fluids of various types. So if you <laughs> okay. like your horror gory and uh, juicy, deliciously <laughs> – Juicy horror. Deliciously Ooh. juicy horror – then Girl on the Third Floor is the movie for you. I loved it. They did a little Q&A after the fact. Mr. Brooks was nice enough to answer my question as to what inspired his character role. And uh, Aline Dietz of of The Exorcist was in the crowd, and she also asked a question. It was pretty cool. Cool night. So let's get a rating. Don't don't say it. Just show me with your hand how many tusks, and I'll, I'll let the mm. audience know. Out of five is what our ranking is. Yeah. Right? That's why I said your hand. You just need one. Well, I have two hands. Yeah, I said hand. Crazy hands. <laughs> oh, jeez. Woo! Whoa. That's four tusks, folks. That's an A. Four tusk and a woo. That's an A. That's not an A plus, but it's, I mean, it's a B, I guess, but it's a, it's a, it's an A well, in our book. Is it a this perfect is a, yeah, film? Yeah, this isn't your math test. Four tusks is an A, and that's a great film. Not perfect. That's right. Listen, need to be. I. I think Martin Scorsese would consider this cinema, so it's got that going for it. Hmm. Well, maybe we get a ticket for Scorsese, and you and me and him go, and we hit that place up, and then we go visit that church next morning to... Wait, what do we do? That's right. Uh, Cleanse ourselves. Well, that's fantastic. I, You know, I actually have a review, too, of something I saw. Oh, yeah? yeah, I did. I, did, I watched a horror series on Netflix that I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. So I thought I'd share it with the audience. If they're looking for something to watch, that's why we're here. It was called of course. Marianne. And it was... Like the, uh, the damn song. That's not... No, we, we talked about that before the show. <laughs> uh, that is called Eloise, wasn't it? That's a great song. Go check out The Damned if you don't listen to them, guys, because that's a killer band. Oh, yeah. The Damned is a great band. That's true. But we're not here to review music tonight. No. We're here to review... Wait, wait. What? Sorry. Before you go... Oh, I don't, I mean, don't yes, need to interrupt please, your review, yeah. but I have to I have to make one more note 
uh, for Girl on the Third Floor mm. that I think you'll really appreciate. Uh, the soundtrack for Girl on the Third Floor is done by none other than Mr. Big Black himself, St- Steve Albini. Oh, Steve Albini. Very cool. Big Black was a great group. I used to listen to them a lot. If you like that kind of edgy, grindy, industrial sound, uh, a, a master of just taking abrasive noises and throwing them at you in a way that you can dance to and enjoy. And Man, that's cool. Okay, now I'm going to watch that film. So. I mean, I, I was already going to four and a half tusks. Who half tusks? I didn't know. I didn't even know that was a thing. I was already going to watch it because of uh, the four tusks. But yeah, Steve Albini, four and a half tusks, girl on the third floor, CM Punk. What the hell? Get on it! All right, and so you saw a series. Oh you saw yeah, Mary that's Ann. right. Yes, let me let me tell you about it. Where uh, where where the damned is not on, I assume. Uh, no, it did have a good soundtrack though. I didn't really recognize a lot of it, but it did have some good music. Uh, it was a French, uh, foreign French horror series called Marianne. And it's about a uh, famous author, you know, kind of on the Stephen King level. I mean, she's very famous and she has announced that she will no longer be writing her popular series about Marianne, the, the, the terrible ghost witch thing. And, um, Oh, all the fans are very disheartened. Everybody's sad. And then uh, one day at a book signing, uh, promoting the final book of the series, a uh, girl from her hometown comes to talk to her and let her know that there's some really messed up stuff going on back in her hometown and your parents are in danger and you need to go back. And just to really drive home the point of how serious all this is. Well, she just hangs herself right there in front of Marianne and her assistant and, and, and most of the folks at the publishing company. Uh, it was very, very similar to that uh, hanging. Yeah, you, uh, an Omen reference. Very popular. Um, yes. Yeah, one of the probably the spookiest suicide hanging scenes in, in a film. And this was very uh, inspired. It's I would say it was inspired. You, exactly. Very. It's all for you. You got it, man. So this was, this was, I would say this probably had some inspiration from that because it was very d- done in a similar style. But um, so yeah, she's got to go back home, and uh, now you know now she does think maybe her parents are in danger. So she grabs her faithful assistant, and the writer returns home to see what happens. And there's all kinds of supernatural, crazy shit going on. But um, all I can say is, well. The soundtrack was great. The acting was good, but the uh, as for special effects and the the horror uh, kind of monster stuff, you know what it reminded me of? It was almost like Sam Raimi kind of stuff, man. Like, yeah, okay. really didn't expect it to go there. I mean, it was crazy, ghouly monsters with bulging eyes. It, it had a feel of um, like Drag Me to Hell or. Uh, you know, early Evil okay. Dead. It was really surprising, and I really had a great time I with it. I feel like there's, yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of a revival with that because, because I think like much like the music industry and much like rock and roll and punk, we, you know, we've alluded to a couple sort of punk underground alternative bands. Horror has sort of given way to sort of, it has entered into its vinyl phase. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm sure. saying? Like it's like, it's like it it, it, apply, it, it appeals to a certain taste. And that taste likes a little, a little, um, a little history, a little, a little retro. It really has a, a, an appreciation for practical effects. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's almost a little bit cartoony looking. So, well, I don't even know if these are practical effects. It just it just had the feel of it. You know, these days with CGI, it's kind of hard to tell. But um, it was good. It, but it, yeah, it. it I think it was where the, the monsters were even a little, or monster, whatever it was, the supernatural stuff was almost kind of cartoony sometimes, but done in a way where it looked realistic enough where you're kind of going like, okay, you know, out of context, that's kind of silly looking, but if I saw that shit in the context, that would terrify me. And it, it was uh, well, well done. I, it was a good I story. Often, I often make this analogy, you know, there's something about the dark crystal, or, or the revival, right? Uh-huh. Where you're you're obviously looking at puppets, and yet it's so easy to get into the world, and yet you watch a movie like um, oh, what's a what's a heavy CGI? Any of the DC films? Yeah. But let's talk about Suicide I Squad because I had the DC of definitely go with DC because they're the ones that felt comfortable CGIing a mu- a, a mustache off of a guy's face. So right, <laughs> and 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 it's like why does that? Which in theory looks more realistic. Why does that 
why is that so jarring to us? Why does that take us out of the moment so much? And yet, when you look at the effects of, say, the movie like The Thing or, um, you know, Dark Crystal or, or the Sam Raimi stuff and, and, these, and these films and these series that are sort of reviving practical effects, which don't look real, but yet we buy into them more. And, and my opinion is, is that your brain will adjust to its surroundings. Uh-huh. So if it's watching something that's obviously fantasy, it will accept it. It is in that mode. But if you try to bullshit it with some stuff that's supposed to look real, but it doesn't look real, your brain cause shenanigans right away and it takes you out of the moment. Well, I'm positive that there was quite a bit of CGI in Marianne, but, and there should be because, I mean, it's a great resource and it should be used, but it shouldn't only be used. And I don't think they did. They And, and also it's not that kind of film either where um, there's just always going to be some freaky CGI monster. I mean, a lot of the uh, special... A lot of the scenes were, they were more terrifying because of their implications than they were because of what you're actually seeing. I mean, imagine like going to your house. Uh, well, well, for example, when she gets to her parents' house, there's this sort of pouch hanging from the um, uh, porch, from the front porch. It's obviously made of okay. human skin. It's got some human teeth in it and some hair. So just imagine, you know, you're going to visit mom and dad, and that's just hanging on their porch. A sack, the human sack. Yeah, Uh, and you don't know, you don't, you don't know if it's human. You don't know what it is, but you just know it's this bloody, gross, organic pouch thing. And who put it there? They didn't put it there. That's terrifying. So Marianne, I would say, and if you're looking for a good horror series to watch, that's and you don't have Shutter, by the way, because we were. We both watched something off Shudder this week. But if you don't have Shudder and you're still looking for some good horror series to watch, Netflix still has some good ones, and Marianne's definitely one of them. Whether you watch it in the original French or you watch the English dubbed version, which I have always been against uh, English dubs, but um, Netflix is starting to sway my opinion. I'll tell you what, man, because I did wa- no, oh. I did watch some of the dubbed ones, and uh, they are getting some really talented people to do those dubs, and they work very hard on them. Obviously, the... You know the 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 dialogue doesn't match the sinking of the of the people's lips, but I was pretty convinced uh, uh, quite a bit. They were very good, very good voice actors. Uh, but yeah, it was a really good show. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was it was sometimes it was campy, sometimes it was very serious. I mean, you just it took you all kinds of places, but it was a really fun adventure. And so I'm gonna say Marianne on Netflix. Uh, I'm also going to give it, How well, now tusks? that I know that I can do half tusks, I'm going to go ahead and give it a four and a half. I was going to do five because oh, I didn't know about okay, the half great. tusk. So it's not perfect. Hey, but it, four and a right. half, very cool. Lots of fun. And, uh, and, and it is kind of like very got cool. some cliffhangers. So if you're one that doesn't just binge all the way through, you will, you will enjoy when those episodes end and you're going, ah, what's next? You know, you're going to have a great time with that. All right. Well, that's awesome. Two movies, uh, well, moving a series that we watched this week, both having four and a half tusk. Um, I think you're in good hands if you're looking for something to watch in this spooky season. And that you mentioned Shudder earlier. Yeah. That brings us to a series that we both watched. Um, did you watch both episodes? I did, yeah. I watched them both, and I really had a good time. And that is uh, the revival of Creep Show on Shudder by Greg Totoro of The Walking Dead fame. Based on the original movie of George A. Romero and Stephen King. Which was based on the original comic books of the 60s and 70s. Um, so what did you think about Creepshow? Oh, it was fun. It was very cool. I, I, did, I didn't know when you, were, you know when you were recommending it that it was going to be this uh, um, committed tribute to practical effects. It only had, right. am I right? It only had practical effects. No, there was some CGI in, in the, so uh, just for people who haven't maybe seen it yet, the format of Creepshow is there are two segments per episode, half hour episode. And there is this, I think he's called the, I think he's just called the Creeper. Yeah. He's like sort of a puppety Crypt Keeper type yeah. dude who just sort of doesn't speak. He just sort of laughs and turns the pages of the comic book. kind of reminds book. me of Eddie. But, you know, uh, like Eddie episode from had, Iron Maiden. He kind of reminds yeah. me of that. Yeah, a little bit yeah. of Eddie. A little bit of Eddie meets the Crypt Keeper. Meets the Crimson Ghost. And, uh, for all yeah, our misfits and, and so fans he, out so there. So every episode has two episodes. Every episode has two episodes by different directors, writers. And so um, the first episode was uh, – the first segment of the first episode was uh, an adaptation of a Sting, Stephen King story called Grey Matter. 
followed by a story called, I think it was Head in the Haunted House or Haunted Head in the House. That would be a fitting title if that is the title because that's pretty much what happens. Uh, but I, no, I don't know. Um, so, so you loved it then? Uh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Uh, Grey Matter was... Um, it was... I felt, whoever did the Grey Matter, okay. was it, is it a different director every time? Is it like that kind of thing? or is it? Uh, it is, but I think that was actually Greg Totoro and... Stephen King. I, I feel think? that who, who, the Gray Matter Ironically. team, I think they were a little obsessed with the comic book thing, and um, they really yes. focused on that, having the pages turning and what? Whoa, it's, is it a comic book? Is it a show? But uh, it was cool. It was kind of a Lovecraft sort of story. Uh, man's a, a boy's dad is turning into a monster because he drank the wrong kind of beer i guess was that the plot i think he just drank beer well something was going on with that beer i don't think there was anything they ever specified that it, that there was anything weird about the beer itself it was just more like uh, it never really defines why he becomes what he well becomes. if we look at it procedurally there's through the sequence there's what mom died or his sister died or something well, uh, right, then so, there's, oh, oh, hold on. What, we have a, hey, guys, there's a... Oh, yeah, we're going to spoil the first... Well, just the first one. We'll just spoil that. But it, th- then... Uh, yeah, we'll just spoil he, the first uh, one. He starts a drinking. Starts... I mean, who doesn't have... A, I mean, we're enjoying a nice brew tonight. I don't expect to turn into some sort of Lovecraftian monster well, Here's thing. the difference. He starts a drinking even more. And then he starts... Oh, that's true. Starts I don't a winning drinking contest. Because apparently that's a thing. That you can make enough money enough money to pay the mortgage with. <laughs> so. You know, I love Stephen King. There have been some great adaptations of his uh-huh. stories. There's been some bad ones. I'll tell you what, man. He is not great at writing rural characters. There is... Where is he from? He's from Boston. No, he's from the main, uh, main that North... Northeast Maine. area, yeah. Okay, whatever. It's pretty so, rural listen, stuff. He, he's not from the south. Well, <laughs> Stephen King. He's not going to do with southern, but he never does southern writing. stuff. He always writes those northeastern main people. Have you read the stand? Have you read the stand? Yes, sir? I have. There's some hillbilly Jim. There's some hillbilly Jim dialogue in that story, and it is. And very most of silly. them are farmers. It'd be like if me from Texas. Farmers wrote New from Maine. He's he's. I mean, that's the thing we always don't realize. A, a southern us. Southern fellows like we are is that uh, they're southern gentlemen. Yeah, that's sir. right. There are uh, hillbilly hick types all over this great country of ours. Every state's got their version of that. Yeah, well, I don't know if it always works. All right, um, moving forward. Moving forward, though. I'll be uh, honest with you. I I found. Well, hold on. Uh, moving forward. Okay. He, so he's so he's oh, now he's paying the mortgage exclusively with drinking contests. And for some reason, he just starts a growing tentacles and having slime all over him, eating cats and dogs, and then eventually eating people. Yeah. So here's my feeling on it. It was a love letter to the 19, early 80s creep show movie. Um, it felt very much in line with that. It was kind of like like J.J. Abrams' take on Star Wars. Uh-huh. I don't know that it broke any new ground, but you could tell he really loves it. And maybe it's necessary to get the audience reacclimated with the sort of vibe of the original, but I found it just okay, just okay. It, you know what? It, Didn't upset me. But if I hadn't seen the next segment of episode one, I might have jumped off. I mean, I didn't have the 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 visceral hate that I have for American Horror Story nineteen eighty four, but it was just fine. We've actually taken a break from nineteen eighty four this week, by the way, everyone. If you've wondering what we think of whatever just happened we we didn't see it i'm on a permanent <laughs> you, break i don't think i'm gonna jump back on. i you, said i'm gonna, gonna take a couple of weeks before i watch on. it again and then i'm gonna kind of watch two episodes at once and just see if anything got better we'll see what happens but well, um well so that's so that but yeah getting back the, into the, the yes the, creep show the, the next segment was so good it was so good it's it called like good. head in the haunted house mm-hmm. i don't want to spoil anything but the premise is so damn good. This is how you do low-budget horror excellently. I'll give the first segment like two and a half tusk, but I'm giving this one... I'm going to give it 
four and three quarters tusk for the second segment of the first episode. All right. It is damn near perfect until the very, very last shot. And that's what kept it from getting five <laughs> oh, tusks. Yeah. The last shot was pretty cheesy. It's so dumb. But I laughed and I laughed yeah. and I laughed. By the way, dumb. folks at home, uh, I enjoyed it. this uh, tusk rating thing, Dave actually does this in our regular life now. He just does this all the time. People don't know what he's talking about. I just rank everything. Yeah, he's just talking about tusks all day long. Uh, you know, like this IPA just had this double IPA that the uh, great state of Utah was happened to give to me when I went to scout there for the new series uh-huh. I'm working on, uh, which is nine percent alcohol by volume. Um, ah, it's a hoppy IPA, so I'd give it like what's it called? Tusk. It's called Hop Rising Double IPA. Hop Rising Double Indian Pale Ale. Well, a 9%. Should we really be drinking 9% double IPAs while we record a show? Is that? Well, it's <laughs> Saturday night. Hey, we're an old-fashioned show. We're also smoking cheap cigars in here. You can't see that part, but that's going on, too. And, uh, that's right. That's right. That's fat cats, right. corporate fat cats. Yes, and we've... We work for Rotten Tomatoes. Huh? Uh, but what did you think about the second episode? What, what, what did you I, rank the first I, episode? What oh, are your, what's uh, your tusk rating? I, I don't know. Four, three, four tusks. I, I mean, honestly, I just want to kind of say, like, the whole show is really great. It's really fun. It kind of commits itself to uh, practical effects, and it feels uh, it feels retro and, in a good way, not in an American Horror Story 1984 way, but in a really cool way. And uh, I found myself uh, laughing a lot and just enjoying it and going, hey, that was, that was cool. That was fun. It, it does feel like a comic book, which is really neat. I mean, because that first one where they were showing the pages of the comic book turning and stuff, I thought, oh, are they going to do that this whole time? And they don't. But it still feels very pulpy, very comic book, very retro. Uh, old-fashioned vintage the stories are great whether they're taking place in the current society because there was one that was like I thought they were going to do just like a retro thing the whole time but there was a story that took with uh, DJ Qualls actually who I haven't seen in a while yeah so I want to get into that so I actually I don't know that I would say I love the series quite as much Uh as you do I love the second segments of both episodes so far I mean I love them and I actually thought as much as I loved um, head in the haunted house, whatever the, that story Double is. IPA. Um, the DJ, the DJ Qual one. Nine percent. Five tusk. So, <laughs> so good. good. <laughs> it's so good. So smart. R- written by David uh-huh. Shrew, who wrote The Crow. Brilliant, and also, again, a masterclass in how you take a high concept and you do it within the means of a budget. It's so it was good. good. And I want Bob. I want a Bob oh, for Christmas. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool to have a little, little statue of that guy. That's, that was a cool little monster. Uh, breaking news. Not breaking. Breaking news if you listen to the podcast because it's the only place you're listening to it. Um, they Shudder is working overtime to have plushy ah, Bobs in time wonderful. for Christmas. Shudder's cool, by the way. I, I want to kind of just say that on an aside. Uh, I had to actually – it's only on Shudder, this show that we're reviewing. Creep Show is only on Shudder. Uh, Correct, which is the yeah. uh, the internet's? Uh, you should know this if you're listening to this show. But it's the internet's horror streaming service, and I um, had to subscribe to see the show, and I think I'm going to keep that subscription. I mean, that's fantastic. There's so much cool oh, stuff on there, an original series. Um, the, yes, Joe Bob, Joe Bob Briggs. Briggs. The stuff they're doing with him. Uh, new critter, uh, critters. Awesome. Uh, remember critters from the '80s? A little mo- yeah, like monster series. ball guys that bite you. Uh, new one of those. Yeah, lots cool. of cool stuff, man. Of, yeah, awesome very good one. If you're looking for a horror, because I know there's a few horror streaming services out there. Uh, I know Full Moon's got Are one. There? Oh yeah, Full. You know Full Moon Video. They did a lot of straight to video puppet master. The puppet master guys. To me, like what makes Shutter special? They love filmmakers. They're looking for filmmakers and concepts, and that to me is exciting. And that to me, you know, we we on this show talk so glowingly about indie films and that indie spirit. And I feel like they get it. Oh yeah. You can be very happy with a lot of the product that they're putting out. And I'm not going to say that creep show is perfect, but I will say that two episodes in the second segments have been excellent, excellent and uh, clever. And I think, I think that they probably very intelligently packaged uh, the more retro episodes with the more um, high concept episodes, and I love that pairing. Is like 
werewolves during World War II eating Nazis. Oh, yeah. Well, I just want to say, to, to more to your point, Shudder definitely loves filmmakers. They have their own talk show where they just interview filmmakers, and it's like a cool horror talk show where it's just you get to see all behind the scenes and talk with these guys about what they're doing and what their vision is. They, they've they got documentaries on how horror films were made, two of them on Hellraiser. Awesome. If you ever wondered how Hellraiser was made, you might. Uh, Listen, lots of we're cool not stuff, sponsored. Man. We're not... Be, we're not we're not being corporate. Shows. We're not sponsored by a thing. If you think we're we have sponsors, you uh, but you're giving us more credit than you should. should. Well, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. We here have integrity, okay? <laughs> yeah. But that being said, I will show coffee and Shutter all day long. So if Shutter or any coffee brand would love to sponsor us, I will. I will pimp your product. Oh my god! All day long. You're, we're begging for sponsors on the show now. I'm not begging for it. I'm really <laughs> making a statement. So Matt, we love uh, Creep Show, and you know what we love more than Creep Show? We love our fans. Oh, okay, yeah. And as such, they're good people. What was it that uh, Mr. Rogers used to do when he used to go to his? Oh, bag? we had a little just, train that we would train. ride the train. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so are, are, is a, this the part where you play have? some train we noise like or something? A, is that what's going to happen? Maybe, maybe we gotta we gotta figure out some sort of yeah. creepy way to get down to our. Well, crypts. you've been adding adding Questions. noises to the show, and that's the thing people don't realize is I I don't get to hear those noises before the show. A little behind the scenes, no, yeah, surprise. it's always a surprise. What so? So you may be listening to a train noise right now, and I this may be edited out. What I'm saying. All right, questions for the crypt. Take it away, Mistress Ophelia. Questions from the crypt. Jason Nedick asks, what is your favorite film of the silent movie era? Oh, the silent movie era where people, dastardly villains would be assaulting women and tying them to train tracks while like exciting piano music would play to let drive home how dangerous and scary this all is. Much like a Marvel film. (laughs) That's what Marvel films are lacking is just improv ragtime piano playing. To That's drive right. The story if they forward. want to be considered cinema in the eyes of Scorsese, let's get some uh, let's get some twirling mustaches in. Um, so, do you want to take this one first? You want me to go? Oh, I've got a, a film that uh, always stood out for me. That's a, an easy one. The Pixies wrote a song about it. If you like indie rock, uh, it's called Un Chien Andalou, and it's a uh, it's a silent film by uh, Luis Bunel and Salvador Dali, actually, based on a dream that Dali claimed to have. It's uh, it's the slicing up eyeballs. If you you know the lyric from uh, Pixies, uh, got me a movie slicing up oh, eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a that's what that is. That's a film, okay. um, and it's a, it's really cool. It's a it's kind of a. Uh, surrealist uh, nonsensical there's no real plot or anything but um that slicing up eyeballs part that is a, a real eyeball does get sliced in half and it is totally disturbing yeah. especially uh, it's one of those films where uh, because it's so old you know they couldn't fake it uh but um right so they probably went down to like a mortuary or some sort of like um Something of, of a, that sort, a, like a, a science lab, and got a real eyeball. A butcher shop. It turns out that cow eyes look close. A uh, uh, calf eye looks close enough to a human eye that you can. Well, um, that's because they have feelings. So every time we eat them, think about. Well, that. this this one was already dead. This isn't like they had something killed so they could make the film. How did that but, happen? Um, I wonder. Ah, uh, well, probably a cruel, um, you know, a delicacy cuisine for some fancy restaurant. I'm sure, but. Uh, no, they actually they actually took this uh, this calf carcass and like shaved it so it would look like a human face, and they did a close up and ran a razor through the eyeball. It's that I mean I, I'm not talking about the best aspects of the film right now, and you've kind of cornered me into there, but uh, it's actually much better <laughs> than it sounds. Not that part. I mean that part's disturbing, but it's a cool movie. It's really cool, and if you have never seen it, it's not it's not very long, but you know, Miss Salvador Dali and Louise Brunel, man, it's like really neat stuff. And, um, sounds awesome. Yeah. It's really, you're going to see a lot of strange, strange stuff. I mean, just ants coming out of a hand and, uh, the, the, the man sort of pulling the wall down, uh, with, a, like literally as he plays the piano and having all this stuff tied to his back, uh, you know, cows and minstrels just being dragged behind. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, I mean, 
I don't know what I'm describing to you or what that sounds like to the listeners. You just have to watch it. But if you want to see a little piece of film history, and if you want to solve the mystery of what the Pixies have been talking about all those years in their song Debaser, uh, Shien Andalou is the film for you from the from the, the cool. yeah film from the silent era. There you go. Very cool. Well, I I you know I I, I love this question, and Jason, thank you so much for asking it because as much as you love film, there is generally speaking sort of a a glass ceiling as far as how far you'll go back to watch older films. And you might go and watch segments of them and you might have a general history of them, but you know, things of a, of a, a far enough back generation that they're just sort of hard to make it to your queue. So upon l- hearing this question, I, I went back and I just started thinking like, what would be my favorite silent movie? And, you know, I'm a huge Charlie Chapman fan. I think he's fantastic. Um, certainly like movies like Metropolis. Um, there's lots to pick from, uh, but I think that if I got to pick mine, I got to pick mine that I got inspired to watch because I saw the biopic movie version of it, which was um, Nosferatu's A Symphony of Horror, which is its original full title. I saw the movie Shadow of a Bat starring John Malkovich oh, Will- and Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. Yeah, very good. About the making of the movie in a, in a very hyper-reality movie version of the, <laughs> yeah. of the film well i've heard th- i've heard some stories that maybe not that far off that the guy was a little spooky there was like a lot that. of weird yeah. stuff yeah there was a lot of weird stuff happening on the set around that time and uh max shrek who plays count orloff was a strange character and people there were people who had rumors that maybe he was actually a real vampire playing a vampire in a sort of meta sort of scenario and um the great thing about it, it's like you mentioned Flash Gordon earlier, uh-huh. and Flash Gordon and, and and Star Wars, George Lucas's Star Wars, essentially came about because he couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, and in that same way, Nosferatu came about because um, a German artist and architect, Albin Garou, Garou, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, and Enrico Dickelmann wanted to make Bram Stoker's Dracula, and were unable to get the rights, and so they decided they would just change a few things you know they said it from england to germany um from dracula to orloff but the core of the story is exactly the same what a lot of people don't realize is that the uh stoker family his wife sued them and uh, most of the original prints were destroyed so every version of nosferatu that you watch is essentially a bootleg because a couple of reels had made it to america and had, even though they'd been sort of lost until the 60s, um, they'd been re-edited and recut and rescored. So depending on what you watch, you were essentially getting different bootlegs of the original story that m- most people may or may not have ever really seen its intended presentation. Hmm. And it's cool, man. Like the, uh, so many of the things that we associate with vampiric lore, like, um, for example, in Dracula, the sun doesn't kill Dracula. He wanders about, you know, if we, if, we, oh, yeah. if we think about the movie that's in our Tournament of Terrors, you know, Gary Oldman and his cool circular sunglasses just hanging out in the daytime trying to woo Winona Ryder. Um, the idea that vampires are actually killed by daylight came from Nosferatu because they were looking for a more dynamic ending. Hmm. It's hugely influential. Um, and, I, and, I, and there's several versions of it, but if you can find, there's, a, there's an hour and 30 minute version out there. If you can find it. Go watch it. Uh, it's it's excellent, and I think it will give you a, a much deeper appreciation for for horror films that built upon the shoulders of this movie. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Thanks. Yeah, one one of the things I like about silent films, especially just the weird surreal ones that like the kind we're talking about, is you can kind of make your own soundtrack to them. You know, you just put some whatever you think is right. You know, because uh, honestly, man, the music tastes back then were so different that the the weird kind of like I was talking about like the weird ragtime piano music that was probably seeming pretty edgy at the time and really matched the the the, the mood but it it kind of takes me out honestly takes me out of the um atmosphere oh, so you know I'll, I'll put i'll put on some like 80s industrial films or, or not film i'm sorry some 80s industrial sounds or you know like so like you mentioned some steve albini kind of you know big black or shellac or uh Maybe something like that. Um, you know, usually stuff more, with a little uh, less dial, a, a little less singing, a little more noisy. 
you know, like Carpenter Brute, maybe. Yeah. So yeah, just something, it's something kind of noisy and weird. And you just put that on and just, uh, you know, and most of these films are maybe 20, 30 minutes long. So you just run a few back to back and just have a lot of fun. Matt, I think this show has been chock full of news, information, reviews. We're into October now. The spooky season has officially kicked off. We're well on our way to figuring out what the greatest horror movie of all time was. There's a plethora of great horror films out there to watch. And we hope that you guys take some of these suggestions that we've had. Let us know your thoughts on them. Let us know what you think about Girl on the Third Floor or Marianne or Creepshow. Let us know about maybe some movies that we haven't seen yet that we should watch. Uh, I will make a note that next week I will be in Australia. However, I will be doing a report in, and I'm sure Matt will have some goodness planned out for everyone in my Yeah, absence. we'll keep the show going. We'll figure something out. And, and who knows, folks? Keep your fingers crossed. You know, I, I know a lot of our listeners in the South, and those coats are still in the closet. It's been 100 degrees even into October, but uh, maybe we'll all be kind of listening to next week's episode near a near a little fire in the backyard with some spooky sounds off in the shadows coming from the trees. And, uh, who knows, man, it could be, we, it might, right. what I'm trying to say is it might actually be fall next time you listen to our show. But, uh, as always, thank you guys so much. We're out of time. So from Matt and Dave, adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the deliciously juicy horror network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.